0: As you can see on the screen, this is our third part in this series called Where He Leads Me, I Will Follow, and I want to begin this morning by asking someone else if they would like to uh, recite the second scripture verse that we have you uh, learning today, this past month. Anybody want to recite it? Do you even know what it is? <clears throat> it was Matthew chapter twenty eight, verses nineteen and twenty. Does anybody know it? You should. This is a this is a this is a good one. <laughs> anybody? You want to do it for us? Okay, there, thank you. Amen, and sh- the the scripture at the very end there says, "And surely, I will be with you always to the very end of the age." He promises that he will be with us. So, thank you, Jaron. No, I appreciate that, and I also appreciate Ginger for doing Isaiah. Isaiah forty verse three was a tough one for me. You know, I, I don't know. It just it just didn't click with me. But I I did memorize it, and, uh, and of course Matthew twenty eight. I've, I've, I've known that one for quite a long time, but anyway, as we move on in our, our message here this morning, I don't know how many of you remember, but it, it wasn't, it was back um, probably about 24 years ago, 25 years ago. It was 1999. John F. Kennedy Jr. flew his small airplane from New York City to his family home in Massachusetts, and they were going there for a wedding if you remember. On board were his wife, Carolyn, and her sister. And though Kennedy was a licensed pilot, he had not yet been approved for instrument flight. You know what instrument flight is? Being able to fly the plane only through instrument navigation. And so he wasn't able to do that um, because he had never been approved and, and never had the training. So When their takeoff was delayed until after dark, Kennedy should have waited, is what he should have done. If he had waited, he probably would still be around today, but he should have waited for daylight, or he should have sought out someone who was experienced in in being able to do instrumental flight, but he didn't. Kennedy took off in the darkness, and the plane never reached its destination, and all three passengers were killed. In the crash, investigators determined that the crash was likely caused by disorientation from flying over open water at night without any kind of landmarks or visible horizon. Kennedy's lack of experience may well have led him to trust what he thought he was seeing more than what his instrument panel was telling him. It's a good um, illustration for us today. My son was in the, Air, he's in the Air, he still is in the Air Force, but he was in the, the PJs, the uh, para-rescue. And they put them through so much rigorous training. But he said the scariest thing that he ever experienced was being in a, in a, a pool room that was completely dark. They said they, they put the lights out so you can't see your hand in front of you. And they make them get in the water. And he said, when you're in the water and you go down, you don't know that you're going down or you're going up. You, it's hard to tell. It's really, and he said, and, and, and other guys are in there trying to grab you to pull you down and, and stuff. And he said it was, it was an extremely difficult situation. But, you know, all of us, all of us face the temptation to walk according to sight instead of faith. We do. You know, faith in God will keep us from crashing. You know, human reason is going to fail us at times. It just is. But the the great thing is, is that God never fails. His word keeps us on the right course as long as we obey it. You know, it's like James said, you know, it's like looking in the mirror and then forgetting what you look like. You know, you need to do what it says. You need to obey it. So if you were with us over the last couple weeks, you know that we recently began a journey and that and that will that journey will take us many different places over the over the next few weeks, you know, to the banks of the Jordan River, to an empty tomb, to the outskirts of Jerusalem and every point in between. That's where it's going to take us. This this journey that we that we're on. You know, the Gospel of Mark is going to be our guide, our tour guide on this journey as we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. You know, even though Mark was the shortest of all the Gospels, and we've talked about this before, Mark actually records more events than any other Gospel. Did you know that? Records more events, making it this this very fast-paced, action-packed biography of Jesus and, and the ideal starting point for anyone wishing to get to know Jesus better and follow him. Where he leads me, I will follow. question is this, will you follow? Will you follow? I mean, anywhere, will you follow? How many of you like to hike? You know the path. If you get off the path, it's really hard to find your way. How many of you have been lost? <laughs> yeah, I, I will tell you, my, my, my one of my best friends, Richard Rexroad, the only time I ever thought that I was going to end his life was when he took me on a hunting trip and left me out in the woods to die. We went in in the dark. I came out in the dark and had no idea where I was going. <laughs> And this, is in, this was in the George Washington National Forest, which is a forest of about a million acres. And you, you, I, I had my 270 with me, a high-powered rifle, and I was nervous. It's, that's really important. So, so think about it. Where, where does God want to lead you? Will you follow him? You know, don't, don't just take that statement for granted by saying, yes, I will. where he leads me, I will follow. Don't say that unless you really mean it. You know, last Sunday what we did was we zeroed in on the first 12 verses of Mark chapter 2. You know, where the multitudes of fans just flocked to see Jesus, you know, he was he was getting popular, more popular even popular than the Beatles, you know, and and four determined friends lowered a paralyzed man through this hole that they had dug in the roof so that Jesus could could heal him. And of course, Jesus used this teachable moment of forgiving the man's sins and then proving his divinity by, by telling him, because of the Pharisees saying, oh, you can't do that. You can't. You can't. Only God can forgive sins. And so to prove his divinity, he said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man stood up, picked up his mat, and went home. I think it's a great lesson on how far are we willing to go to get to Jesus. How far are you willing to go to get to Jesus? You know, the the crowd went crazy and, and stunned onlookers began to praise God because of what Jesus was doing. Can you imagine if something like that were happening today? Well, maybe it is. You just need to be looking for it. So in these verses following, uh, what happens is is Jesus attends a party at Matthew's house. It was kind of this, I call it a religious mixer of, of sinners and saints rubbing elbows and swapping stories. Then when the religious elite kept wondering why Jesus was spending all of his time with these sinners, He was spending so much time with the scum of the earth, why would he do that? And Jesus reminds them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. That's what he tells them. So later Jesus gets into an argument with the Pharisees. He got into a lot of arguments with them. He gets into an argument with the Pharisees about fasting, and then he gets into another argument about picking grain on the Sabbath. And if you have time, you should go back and read those passages, those those scriptures. But that finally brings us to chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along in your Bible, please do so right now, or you can look at it up on the screen. The story for this week is rather short, but it has a lot of great lessons in it. So let's let's read Mark chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. It says, Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians on how they might kill Jesus. Can you imagine? You know, it's important. Well, as we read this interaction in this, in this passage here, what I want to share with you this morning is this. is three different perspectives that, that, that stand out in this story. There's three different perspectives from this. And the first perspective is this. It's it's a perspective by Jesus. And what he does is he demonstrates a compassionate personality. Jesus always demonstrated a compassionate personality. He loved people. He loved being with them. He loved doing things with them. He loved restoring them to good health. So it's important to notice that the Bible says in Mark chapter 3, verse 1, and this is from the New Living Translation. It says, another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. The New Living Translation says that Jesus noticed a man with a deformed hand. Jesus noticed. Jesus always notices. Nothing, nothing escapes him. You know, this, this story was, was a story that we saw on The Chosen about two weeks ago. And it was really obvious that, you know, that nothing was going to escape Jesus. Uh, anything that he was looking at, nothing would escape him. And so he, he had a shriveled hand, and, and Jesus notices that. that is to say that this guy didn't come to Jesus and ask for help. Rather, the sight of him kindled Jesus' or Jesus's concern for him. Jesus was concerned. Jesus went to him. And this is just one of many examples of of love and compassion that Jesus had for people. You know, Jesus cared about people. Jesus notices people. And he still does, guys. He notices you. He notices you. You know, because we live in a world of hurting people, don't we? So many people hurting around us. You know, did you know that Americans buy over 3 billion Tylenol each year? Over 3 billion Tylenol. Yeah, how much Tylenol that would be? That might even fill this room up. 3 billion Tylenol a year. Jesus knows every headache, every fever every heartache. Emergency room visits reached an all-time high last year of 136 million visits. Now, if I had that record, I, I was one of those just the other day. I know just a little while ago, Chet was in the emergency room, you know, and, and some of you have been in there. You know what I'm talking about. So, so 136 million visits to the emergency room. Jesus knows every stroke. He knows every seizure. He he chose to demonstrate God's power by curing diseases, casting out demons, healing the hurts of people instead of some pointless feat of moving a mountain or parting an ocean. Jesus was healing people. He chose to heal people. Jesus was always on the lookout for hurting people, and he will always want to help. He's always willing to be there to help. That's Jesus. Seven centuries, seven centuries, listen to this, before Jesus was born, Isaiah said this about Jesus. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the suffering and the afflicted. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to announce liberty to the captives and to open the eyes of the blind. Isaiah's talking about Jesus right there. He's talking about Christ. So in Mark chapter 2, Jesus fulfilled this prophecy by healing this paralyzed man, but he didn't stop there. He didn't stop there. Now he's, he's healing a man with, a, with a, a shriveled hand, a deformed hand. And everywhere he went, he took time To heal people. Remember the lady who had the issue of blood for how many years? And all she did, she she had the faith to know that all she would have to do is touch his garment. And she was healed. And Jesus knew the power had gone out of him and he knew something had happened there. Jesus is in the business of healing. Everywhere he went, he took time to heal and to help. The word compassion itself, believe it or not, is used 13 times throughout Jesus' four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and every single time it's used, it was either spoken by Jesus or it was used to describe Jesus. That's interesting. So if we want to be more like Jesus, then we've got to start seeing people through Jesus' eyes, we have to use his eyes to see people with them, looking for helpless or hurting people and reaching out to them with love and compassion. The love and compassion of Jesus. You know, it's so easy, though, I'm telling you, it is so easy to look the other way or convince ourselves that that's someone else's problem isn't it? I've done it. I know you've probably done it. It's so easy for us to look the other way. It reminds us of this story about a man and his wife who woke up at 3 a.m. to a loud knocking at, the, at their back door. And this, so the man gets up and he goes to the door where a, a drunken stranger standing in the pouring rain is asking for a push and the husband said you know not a chance not not a chance it's 3 it's 3 o'clock in the morning so he slams the door and he returns to the bedroom the wife asked who was that some drunken guy asking for a push he answered well did you help him did you help him she asked well no it's it's 3 in the morning and it's pouring rain outside the husband answered well you should be ashamed of yourself The wife replied, she said, don't you remember about three months ago when we broke down and these two guys helped us? And then she threw the big question at him. The big question that makes you feel guilty. (laughs) What would Jesus do? (laughs) That's the question. You know, that's his wife there. What would Jesus do? Well, feeling guilty, the man does as he's told. He gets dressed and he goes out into the pouring rain and he calls out into the darkness. Hello, are you still out there? Yes, the answer comes back to him. Do you still need a push, calls the husband. Yes, please, comes a reply in the darkness. Well, where are you? The husband asked. I'm over on the swing. (laughs) Now, now, let me tell you something. Would you or wouldn't you go and push him? (laughs) That's kind of creepy if you ask me in the dark, in the rain. There's no way. Following in the footsteps of Jesus requires a compassionate spirit and it may even require us going out in the rain at 3 a.m. in the morning. Jesus had a compassionate personality. He genuinely cared about people. And you know what makes it even more personal? Is that he genuinely cares about you and me. That's the kind of savior that I want. He reaches out to the hurting and he heals the brokenhearted. Sadly, though, all through Jesus' ministry, this happened. There always seems to be those who would rather criticize and cut down than to show compassion and Christ-like love, isn't it? We face that in this day and age too. It's a frustration. And so the second perspective that we want to see here today is this. is from the religious leaders. They demonstrated what we call a critical personality. Notice again what Mark says. He says, they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, I guess that's it. That's all I gave her to do there but they were thinking to themselves of how they wanted to kill Jesus because they were waiting for him to heal. They knew that he he might do that, and so they wanted to criticize him because he was going to do it on the Sabbath. This seems absolutely absurd to me. Doesn't it to you? Absolutely absurd that they would criticize him. You know, why would someone get angry over something kind-hearted and considered as like healing a sick or injured person? Why would they? Why would they be upset with that? These Pharisees were losing control. These Pharisees were just overwhelmingly critical, just just hoping that Jesus would would break the rules so that they would have something to criticize him about. You know, long ago when God gave the Ten Commandments, He said this in Exodus. He said. Remember the Sabbath day to, by keeping it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a, is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no, you shall do not do any work, neither you, nor your son, or your daughter, nor your, your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in the six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and he made it holy. You know, God intended for the Sabbath to be a day of rest and a day of worship. But the religious leaders of Jesus' day had turned this blessing into a burden they had turned it into a burden because of their legalistic approach to god's commands the religious leaders had developed this elaborate written code and they followed this elaborate written code more than they did the scripture but they followed this they developed this elaborate written code of all the actions that were prohibited on the sabbath including any type of work, and they considered healing to be part of a doctor's line of work, and therefore, because it was part of a doctor's work, it was forbidden. So according to their religious regulations, Jesus was breaking the law. You know, today when a law no longer serves a practical purpose, it it, it just sort of fades into obscurity. But there are a lot of odd laws on the books still. A lot of them. For example, did you know that it is illegal for young girls to walk a tightrope in Wheeler, Mississippi unless it's done in church? (laughs) That one kind of baffled me there. (laughs) In Honey Creek, Iowa... It is against the law for anyone other than a policeman to carry a slingshot to church. (laughs) Darn, I left my slingshot at home, you know. (laughs) And and no citizen in Lee Creek, Arkansas, is allowed to attend church in any red color clothing. So Marvin, you'd be out of here. Sarah, you'd be out of here. Who else has got red on? Uh, Mine's not red, but... (laughs) You would not be allowed to wear red until church. You know, in Blackwater, Kentucky, this is, this is the funniest one for me, in Blackwater, Kentucky, it is actually a law that says you cannot, tickling a woman under her chin with a feather duster while she's in church services carries a penalty of $10 and one day in jail. <laughs> Absolutely some ridiculous laws. You know, Jesus apparently considered the ridiculous codes of the Pharisees concerning the Sabbath to be in the same category as these archaic laws. Absolutely. You know, in in earlier encounters with the Pharisees, Jesus said this. He said, then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man. Did you see this? The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is the Lord even of the Sabbath.'" That's what he tells them. You know, in other words, God made the Sabbath to meet the needs of people, not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. That's what he was telling them. The point is that all of God's commands are important, but they were designed for our benefit. And when we legalistically insist on the letter of the law overlooking the needs of real people, I believe that God becomes indignant. He is not pleased with us. If we make those things more important than we do people. So we really need to be careful with that. I want you to notice what Mark says in in Mark chapter 3, verse 5. Here he says, he looked around at them in, in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. These are the Pharisees he's talking about. So he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Jesus was just going to let him have it, pretty much. And and so, in fact, the Bible records seven times that Jesus healed people on the Sabbath. Did you know that? Challenging these religious leaders to look beneath their rules and regulations to the true purpose of the law. I don't know if they ever got it. I really don't know if they ever got it. You know, but the the true the true purpose of the law was to do what? It was to glorify God, and to bring peace among the people. That's what it was all about. And all they did was they stirred up trouble. You know this this might be a good time to ask ourselves this. Ask yourselves, you personally, ask yourselves, do I have a Pharisaical tendencies? Do you? Do I put rules and traditions above the needs of real people? I have four children. And Cameron is the third one in line. And my other kids always called Cameron the police of of the family because he would police them. Anytime they did anything wrong, he would would be there to tell them or whatever. But, you know, the, the question is, Do we put rules and traditions above the needs of real people? Do I look for reasons to criticize others? You know, it's always easier, it seems like, isn't it, to criticize than it is to build people up. And we should just be the opposite of that. We should be happy when people are happy. We should be happy when good things happen to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Absolutely we should. We should be lifting them up. I think it's so important. And that brings us to the final perspective in this story. In addition to a compassionate perspective from Jesus and a critical perspective from the religious leaders, we see this compliant perspective. The, the third perspective is from the man who was healed by Jesus. He had and he demonstrated a compliant personality. That's what he did. You know, let's go back to Mark chapter 3, verse 5. It says, he looked around at them in anger. Jesus was really upset with them and and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. What did the man do? He listened to Jesus. He obeyed Jesus. And when he did that, what happened? It says he he stretched out his hand and, and his hand was completely restored. He had this compliant personality. See, this disabled man has no speaking part in the story. You know, in, in, the, in, the, in the, the chosen video, Jesus gave the man a name, the, the man had a name. But in the, in the scripture, the man has no speaking part in the story. You know, we don't know anything about his past, his profession, his position. We don't know anything about that. We only know one thing about him. When Jesus told him to stretch out his hand, he did just that. He complied, he obeyed. That's what he did. You know, even even though Jesus rejected the Pharisees' legalistic appearance to the, these ritual these religious rituals, these religious rules, he still wants us to have compliant. When I use the word compliant, I'm really saying obedient. He wants us to have obedient hearts, hearts willing to surrender to his will. That's what he wants. You know, if this disabled man hadn't obeyed Jesus when, when, when Jesus said, hold out your hand, he would have missed out on, on a great miracle, a, a life-changing moment. But this man was willing to do that. This man was willing to obey. How far are you willing to go to obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? It was a life-changing moment for this man. Obedience leads to blessing. Disobedience leads to trouble. R- remember Jesus' parable of the two builders who each built a house? How many of you are house builders here? How many of you have built your home? Anybody here? Okay. So so my, my wife works for a, a builder, and so he's built many homes. Um. One built, of these two guys in this parable, one built on a cheap, easy-to-access sand. The other built on costly, difficult-to-reach rock. You know, the second construction project demanded more time and expense. But when the spring rains turned the, the creek into a washout, guess which builder enjoyed the blessing and which one enjoyed or experienced the trouble You know, according to Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, it says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house upon the rock. You know, the wise builder is whoever hears these sayings and does them. Both builders, both builders heard the teachings Both of them did. The difference between the two wasn't knowledge or ignorance. It wasn't those. It was the difference between obedience and disobedience. That's what it was. Security comes as we put God's precepts, God's law, God's commands of us into practice, You know, we're only as strong as our obedience to him. Do you want restoration? Does your marriage or your checkbook or your life need some type of healing? Then obey God's commands. Listen to what he has to say. Obedience, notice this, Obedience, wrote C.S. Lewis, is the key to all doors. Is the key to all doors. As we obey God's commands, we open the doors to God's favor. That's what's so cool about it. Many years ago, the famous evangelist, Dwight L. Moody, conducted a series of meetings in Boston, Massachusetts, A musician named Daniel B. Towner was in there at that meeting, and he led the worship. One night, a young man responded to the invitation, and when he came forward, he said, I'm not quite sure, but I'm going to trust, and I'm going to obey. That's what he said. That statement struck Mr. Towner, and so he jotted down that sentence, And he sent it to this guy by the name of J.H. Samus, who was a a Presbyterian minister. And together, they gave birth to the unforgettable stanza, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And you know what? Like Like this young man who responded to Moody's invitation and the disabled man who Jesus healed, we might not be sure what's coming or why Jesus even commanded certain things, but we can still trust and obey Him. We absolutely can. Decide now. Decide now to choose a compliant spirit, to choose an obedient spirit. And as you do, you can expect blessings and and, and the assurance of God's help he is there for us. So through this one miracle, we, we see the wonders of Jesus' love and compassion. You know, on this journey that we're taking and where he leads us will follow, we're going to see many opportunities where Jesus is going to demonstrate his love and his compassion. And this is one of them. You know, it, 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 we see His the wonder of his love and his compassion towards people in need. And we see the futility of of legalism and and the blessings in the passage here of, of obedience. Remember what Scripture says. And I believe this is in the Old Testament. To obey is better than what? Sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. So as we set out to follow Jesus... My thought is this, let us be obedient to Christ as the crippled man was. Let's never allow the letter of the law to get in the way of the spirit of the law. We should not allow that. Let's reach out to people in need with the love of the Lord and let's celebrate all the wonderful things that Jesus is doing because I believe Jesus is doing a lot. I do. You know, there was a father and son in a small western town, and, and they were looking for an uncle whom they had never seen. Suddenly, the father, pointing across the square to a man who was walking away from them, exclaimed, There goes, that's my uncle. There goes my uncle. They had never seen him before, but the guy knew that that was his uncle. And his son asked, How do you know when you've not even seen him before? Son, Father said, I know him because he walks exactly like my Father. If we walk in the Spirit, the world will know us by our walk. You know, the title of this sermon series is Where He Leads Me, I Will Follow. If you're following Christ, everyone should know you by your walk by your talk by your actions remember I said earlier all of us face the temptation to walk according to sight instead of walking according to faith you know faith in God will keep us from crashing human reason will will fail us at all times but God God never fails us. He never fails. His word keeps us on the right course as long as we trust and as long as we obey him. That's my encouragement to you, to trust and obey him. So if you're here today, I'm going to have the band. That you guys, if you'll make your way up here. If you're here today in need of healing, perhaps it's not physical healing. Maybe it's spiritual healing. Jesus has called you over he, he stands ready with outstretched arms to receive you and redeem you. We, we, we all, I, my, my, I guess my prayer is that may we all commit to a life of following Jesus. And may, may every single one of us in this room, may our mantra be, where he leads me, I will follow. Amen.